The Justin Shapiro Show would like to recognize our two sponsors. First of all, we are the proud recipients of new microphone technology, which has been underwritten by the good people over at the Blackwater Corporation, a subsidiary of Constellus Holdings, and they're actually pretty chill. Additionally, we would like to thank our friends at ESPN.com, the official website of the ESPN channel. ESPN.com is bringing the worldwide leader to the World Wide Web, and it's loaded with features for true sports nuts. These include news, scores, game recaps, stats, team rosters, player weights, and complete access to the site's in-depth coverage of Wimbledon. Wimbledon stars Paul Bettany as Peter Colt, an aging English tennis pro who's starting to feel like it's time to admit he's getting too old for this racket. This is until by chance he meets Kirsten Dunst's charming ingenue athlete Lizzie Bradbury, the rising star of women's tennis. Peter falls in love with Lizzie, and this newfound courtship changes his entire perspective, inspiring him to compete anew. But where will their blossoming romance lead them, especially with Lizzie's overprotective father and manager Dennis Bradbury, who believes their relationship detrimental to her career and is determined to nip it in the bud. A deliciously witty romantic comedy about chasing your dreams and risking your heart, Wimbledon is a fun and charming story of love across the net. Use the offer code CHAPS for a free trial to ESPN.com. It's da-da-da-da-da-da.com. I'll contemplate how I'm going to begin. Oh, God. Just say hello, this is Justin, we're going to rock it right now. And then just get going. People over here, what's up? If you feel me, stand up and say what's up. Not you two, neither of you say what's up. (laughs) As always, a standing caveat that if you remember my family or someone I went to high school with, this file is digital rights protected against you listening to it. So you shouldn't even have it. And do not listen to it. I got with me on a Justin Shapiroing show, the originators, guests number one and number one A uh, from my first episode and from the soft relaunch uh, first episode with the correct theme music. So everybody knows who they are. They're New York City's finest boys in blue uh, first responders. There may be some electric fan stuff going on, but it's a very... Hot, biggest party of the summer. Which one of you's oscillating fan is oscillating that hard? It was an air conditioner. Oh, it's off I now because... I can't begrudge because you Because I that. suffer for my art. No, it's on now. Uh, no, please, dude. There's, I mean, it's really hot today. It was upwards of 90 degrees. It was. Can you manage? I will attempt. 
All right, but I you have full permission again. No one wants to hear you as long as you're not Rubik's cubing. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, that mm, fine, fine. That was on my that was on my own show, wasn't it? No, maybe it wasn't. Yeah, there was a lot of clicking and clacking. It was like you were putting the booking puzzles together metaphorically while we broke it down. First up, alphabetically, wait, barely, just barely beaten out, is uh, Thomas G. Feely, the one, the feeliest. How are you? Um, I typically actually say what's up, but you told me explicitly not to, so <laughs> now I'm just like very confused as to what to say. But I'm, I'm going to grant a 15-second what's up exemption beginning now. I'm doing fine. What's up? What up, what up? It's great to have you back for the first time in a, in a good long while. Um, you guys are a, a collaborative group. And just just a couple letters down in the phone book. It's really hard when you get like the three letters in alphabetically, but you go to FEU, Matt Forestine, the successful uh, year-long run of Listen and Learn, Matt. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. I, I consider myself the um, unofficial co-host of the Justin Shapiro Show. So, um, Matt, welcome back to the show. How's it been? <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's going pretty good. I, um, you know, I, I, it's it's great to be here with uh, huge sports fans, Justin Shapiro and Tom Feely. Uh, I know you guys are probably dis probably dismayed over the situation involving um, quarterback Tim Bradley and uh, and the and the defame gate that's been going on with him. Um, tell me about how you, your feelings on that, Justin. Boy, yeah, I'm I'm of course certainly pro labor. Uh. <laughs> But I wanted to to pay a special tribute to the late lamented original Mr. SummerSlam, who is Albert Ching, who had a, let's say, 15, 20-year streak of attending Summer's Slam uh, broken this year uh, by not making it to the biggest party of the summer. But uh, I think in a real you-can't-fire-me-quit situation, he did not watch SummerSlam and attended some kind of music festival. He did. Does that sound right? Yes, yeah, the, uh, so. yes the FYF festival. Uh, headlined by one night Kanye West and one night Marcy. I'm not sure which night was which. And then they probably brought each other on for duets. Yeah. Each night yeah. as the encore. Mm. Sounds great. But um, we're going to pick up Albert's uh, story. I hope to have him, my top reporter, uh, checking in for Hell in a Cell in Los Angeles. Hashtag H-I-A-C-L-A. So we, uh, I'll check back in with him. And I want to thank him for such a storied run of SummerSlam and uh, keeping the brand alive to uh, let you guys come back. The originators re-originating. So that's it. That's what you did. You went to SummerSlam in uh, Brooklyn, the borough. Indeed. So our, our, our home of the home of where we live. It's the home of where we live. Did you like it, Matt? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you like it, Tom? Yeah, I would say I would say so. It lived up to. I mean, I can go more in depth than my thoughts, but well, obviously. But um, no, like, don't. Obviously, uh, on um, like you know, the big thing I think coming out of it was sort of like the two controversial finishes and the big matches. And at the time, I looked at it as like I was. I wasn't expecting. I think it's a thing of expectations where. Like, if it was, you know, what's like Lucha Underground? I mean, I know not of you guys watch that, but, like, they, with me, have kind of, like, built up faith and, you know, equity with if something at first, you know, doesn't make sense or if it's a tough situation, they've done a pretty solid job of booking their way out of it. But with mm -hmm. WWE, like, I kind of expected something screwy in, like, the two big matches. So 
going, I could pretty much, I was just like happy, like that John Cena didn't win and there was no cane. So, and then as huh. from a wrestling standpoint, everything either met or exceeded my expectation for the most part. You know, I thought it was a good show on the night. At the end of it, I didn't, not, I didn't have, you know, any hopes for WWE, like suddenly turning some kind of corner because the booking was not anything special. I'm actually probably the only person in the world that actively liked the Jon Stewart finish just because I'm such a huge fan of Jon Stewart that like the idea of him getting involved as like a, a regular performer and like a heel manager was like a cool, like just like a cool idea for me, even if it was like a fantasy for a moment. Of course, then on Raw, they ruined it by immediately kind of just dismissing what could have been an actual interesting storyline of him and Seth Rollins, you know, having mutual respect and getting together by because his explanation for why he attacked Cena had absolutely nothing to do with Seth Rollins, and then he just disappeared. So I thought whatever goodwill that finish built up for me, even though I was the only one, um, that was gone by Raw. Um, and the ending of the main event, I mean, I thought it was bad. You know, I thought that it was um, it made no sense, and I, it came off badly. You know, some finish like the John Stewart finish sort of made no sense and was kind of poorly executed, but. It came off well. The crowd like reacted to it. It was it was hot in the building. Uh, the ending of the main event just totally deflated everyone after what had been a really good match. So I I, I didn't see any positives in that. But you know otherwise I thought it was good. You know a lot of good wrestling. Um, I thought the the Cena match was really exciting. I really I actually liked the finish. Um, I thought Lesnar and Taker. I you know and Tom can vouch for me on this. Like I didn't have any doubt that they were gonna have a good match this time because like. If Taker wasn't sure that he could do it, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have come back for it. Because I know that he probably just didn't want to go out like that, like uh, the way his the way the match went at WrestleMania 30. I saw already at WrestleMania 31 that he was in better shape than he was then, and we we all knew that he was hurt. So, so I, I just thought you know maybe they wouldn't have matches a match that was as good as their stuff from like you know like their Hell in a Cell match, and this wasn't as good as their Hell in a Cell match, but. For like modern WWE style, it was pretty damn good. That double sit up laugh spot was all time classic Undertaker spot, I think. And um, maybe I'm getting too much into the specifics of that match, but we can we could save that. But yes, I thought SummerSlam was good, but only in a vacuum. I didn't see it as marking any kind of turnaround. Isn't it interesting that uh, how much the not even the main event of a show, but the finish of a main event of a show can inform like the taste in people's mouth coming out of it. Like to uh, match wise, this to me was like top notch show in ring. And there was more overall quality wrestling than the NXT show and an excellent main event. But the NXT show had not even satisfying finishes, but like the platonic ideal of a satisfying finish. And this show had, like you said, a couple of, uh, you know, um, idiosyncratic to be generous, uh, ones. And instead of coming out of it as people have for many a fired up, uh, SummerSlam right before the rug gets immediately pulled out with those awful autumns is like, Oh, WWE, you're so fun. I, that's, I mean, at 08, 09, other times since then, even, um, uh, the the one Brian and Cena. Twenty thirteen, yeah, twenty thirteen, uh, which is like two you know two all time great WWE matches, um, and like mm-hmm. by the next night it was it was done. But uh, this one, it was like uh, you had this great show in ring. Everybody worked really hard, and but it by the end of it was just a, a groan at the company. Um, 
I, I will say about NXT. Um, yeah, it had by far the match of the of the weekend, and uh, you know, and the the emotional investment of the audience was greatly different, other than the usual like Cena always has emotional investment. Um, just be, just as a figure, but in terms of like actually of invest being invested in the arc of a story, you know nothing came close to that Sasha Banks versus Bailey match, and like that's something that WWE should be striving for, and they really don't even attempt that sort of thing outside of NXT. The Saturday show was face fuck me Finn, and then the Sunday show was heel fuck me finish. So that's <laughs> I guess somehow. Um, yeah, I mean, I got a lot to jump off of there. Like, I, first I just want to get the Cena-Rollins match kind of out of the way. Like, because, again, sure. going back to, like, the two kind of screw finish on the show, um, mm-hmm. the Cena-Rollins, like, for as good as the Cena-Rollins match was, there's really almost not a lot to say about it, given that everything, you know, was kind of, the whole John Stewart thing was, like, that's how it was concluded so quickly. Um, and I really, I just, like, I pretty much echo Matt's thoughts. I kind of have these visions in my head of, like, you know, maybe John Stewart being aligned with Rollins for, like, a month or two is just, like, day security or something like that. Um, <laughs> or, or at least, like, coming coming out with him, like, on another big show in a few months, yeah. you know? Versus, like, literally the worst thing. Because I thought, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what the consensus was on the Stuart Foley segment, but I thought at least live, and I'm saying this is, like, a fan of both guys, and I'd be, like, a New York, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, I thought that did really well, but the the Stuart Flair interplay, I thought just the segment was not good at all. Like, Don Stewart did not seem natural, while the Stuart Foley seemed kind of like, you know, they were maybe improving a little bit, and it seemed like they had a natural flow. So the Stuart Flair segment itself was bad. The explanation was bad. And then Cena came out and pretty much said, I don't care that you cost me the title, but I'm going to beat you up anyway, which is like the worst possible way to handle it. And then nothing came out of it. Um, but going back to kind of what you said, Justin, about the, uh, you know, the finish leaving a bad taste in everyone's mouth, that mm-hmm. was like, it was extremely true live because Matt even remarked, because I was one of the few people I think that absolutely like liked the finish. I was in like a unique position to do so in that, you know, I, A, like, going in, I kind of expected like, all right, they're going to do something with Undertaker winning to, um, you know, to set up a third match. And I figured that, like, and I'm also perfectly fine with Undertaker. I'm like, probably one of the people that's probably fine with the Undertaker being the heel in that match, even though it kind of goes against like, the whole living legend thing. Because I think, like, Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar and the New Day, of all people, are pretty much like the only two interesting acts in the entire <laughs> company. Um, so I kind of expected either A, the Undertaker is just going to win clean and they're going to have a rubber match, which in my mind would just be stupid and kind of kill, really squander the whole Lesnar character, um, or do a screwy finish, which I figure, again, like, you know, the booking is not that creative. I figured, like, some bullshit distraction or, again, Kane. Um, so I kind of figured, so when the finish happened, I was like, wow, that's actually a really, you know, a really creative, like, I actually came up with a creative way to get out of this. And, but then, you know, Matt was remarking, like, Matt was remarking way more that, you know, wow, just like everyone, like, I was like, yeah, we have a great creative finish. And Matt, because <laughs> Matt is, Matt is all, Matt, you are always right. Um, it's just like, you know, oh true. man, like, it's, yeah, well, uh, you know, oh, like, you know, like, look around, you know, they killed, they killed the crowd, you know, every, like, pretty much everyone as we were walking out was just talking about, you know, ah, oh, man, like, you know, kind of what, like, a bullshit finish it was. Um, 
as far as you know, the, the NXT, like I don't even watch that much NXT, but even just the little things in that match, um, just again an emotional investment. Like I think you could, like, it's pretty amazing that you could pretty much go in without really knowing much of the story, and just from the way the match was worked, and you know, even the announcing for as I gather as bad as the NXT announcing usually is. Um, you know, really did an excellent job as far as, but even in a vacuum, getting that over. Um, I mean, do you want to, like, go more, I mean, do you want to kind of pivot more into the whole, because I have some thoughts on that, the whole, like, Divas Revolution kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's so much fertile territory. Well, NXT came first chronologically, um, and then uh, Undertaker Lesnar came last, so why don't we do everything in between, and then we'll return to that at the end for final thoughts. Um, I get your point. Uh, to me, um, with, I guess, uh, a blackness of the soul and a, a cooler-than-thou attitude, I've always sort of um, tried to distance myself from the um, T-ball kind of preciousness of cheering NXT so hard and cheerleading the girls, or the women, female athletes, um, to, uh, like, kind of just through pure positivity and the spirit of declaring things great on the internet um, force WWE's hand into pushing them the right way. But at the same time, most of the presentation and the booking and the context of NXT is exactly uh, what I'd want and what I'd prefer out of uh, the main show. Um, you, you, Tom, texted me something about the, the cult of NXT being in full effect when you got to the uh, SummerSlam, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I believe, uh, yeah, that's especially um, Matt was smart enough to, because we arrived at Matt was smart enough to go through the side entrance while I went through the front entrance and was caught in about a half-hour line. Behind, of course, going through the metal detector is someone with a camera, a replica belt, and a money-in-the-bank briefcase, which was a fun experience. <laughs> but... Um, Oh, Boy, that, so if they lose the belt, then they can immediately cash in and get it back. But you would think that someone with the money in the bank briefcase would try and go through the side entrance. But uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> but anyway, so um, yeah, just uh, I found the two things amusing was only you know just and Matt can attest to you know at these events and why it's just like let's chant the names of wrestlers and for the most part of the like, NXT say. wrestlers. Um, then the only two ones that got shouted down were Seamus, clap, clap, and, <laughs> and I found it pretty amusing, CM Punk. So that seems, at least to a certain audience, I mean, I guess at this point, completely over and done with. Um, so I guess they were, weren't there CM Punk fans at some point fairly recently when they brought up like AJ Lee in one of the Divas matches? Was it the next night? But anyway. I believe so, yes. Um, we had NXT, uh, it's just pretty. My main, my main like takeaway from that is I, like the big chance where there are lots of chance for, like Enzo Amore and uh, big cast <laughs> and that whole thing. And I how remember, are you doing? Yes, exactly. During uh, one, it might have been the Seamus Orton match, but during one of like the dead periods, yeah. maybe it was Ziggler Rusev. Um, like you know, people started saying, "How you doing?" And everything. And I looked at that and I said, "Wow, now I know how you felt. How like everyone felt three or four years ago that Zack Ryder." Where yeah. <laughs> the yep. whole thing seems, if I may, F A W C D fluff. But um, like, it's just like, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen that much of them. But it really just seems, and I, I hate to be like, I mean, it's okay. I guess it's over. Like, run with it. But it really does seem like something that kind of has. It just kind of seems setting up for 
people's dreams to be crushed. Um, <laughs> well, Matt, you can reply to any of that that strikes your fancy, but also remember your ill omens you gave in the spring about uh, NXT and... Uh, the the death plague that was coming for the work rate independence and uh a lot of that has been like supposition and things that are expected to almost happen that haven't happened yet but where do you stand on that stance now do you feel extra validated i I don't i i wonder if um vince is gonna get cold feet on that i'm like hiring up all the indie guys like you know when when kevin owens first came for a while there was a, uh, you know, they pushed him very hard, and now he's a total, you know, mid-card guy who gets wins over, you know, but over other mid-card guys. I um, I wonder if, like, the stalled Kevin Owens push is sort of an omen for maybe the stalling of turning NXT into, like, proto-ROH. Um, as far as NXT itself, I, I'm one of the people who think it's kind of like people are a little bit too excited about it. Because it still does feel like a corporate sanitized version of, you know, what we sort of like on the indies. You know, that kind of like video game indie style mixed in with some kind of like deep wrestling that you don't really get in WWE. Still a lot of like WWE style corporate speak, overly scripted promos, things like that. You know, things that make WWE not so appetizing. I think that's still there in NXT. The one thing you can't deny is that they've done a great job with the women you know, the creating characters for them, training them to have great matches with each other, you know, and making them good wrestlers. I, um, you know, I can't say enough good about that women's match at the NXT show. You know, that might be the WWE match of, like, the past year. Um, but otherwise, I don't see what's so great about it. That's kind of why I chose to go to ROH, you know. ROH, it's not perfect, but, you know, and it's owned by Sinclair, which isn't exactly an innocent... Um, upstart but it's it's still like what it is you know it's not trying to be something that it's not and i and i still feel like nxt is trying to parrot something that it's not and just and kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes a little bit i don't want to say that because i don't want to feel make it seem like i'm smarter than anybody because i'm definitely not but I, i think it's just the idea that you're getting behind some kind of movement when you watch nxt seems so ridiculous to me that I, it's hard for me not to be a little bit condescending. I, it's hard for me to keep pivoting into different devil's advocate positions. <laughs> I'm for and against it at the same time. I, I think the one thing that NXT maintains is that all the acts seem to have uh, a level of agency that completely disappears when you go to the main roster, and even like their likability sort of gets um, eroded as they get put into like the machine of raw booking. Uh, I, I just remember, like, Paige was one of the great cult characters down there, and then a year on the main roster, uh, separated from all uh, the other uh, women who became the cool thing, and everyone's like, oh, Paige, shut up! Just shut up! I hate her! Go away! So it's almost, and Owens, too. Yeah, Owens. He came out so hot, and then it's just like, shut up, Batman. Why don't you do some sit-ups? You're fat. Well, I, I do not believe in such bullying, but... I do agree with you about Kevin Owens. Like he came out as they they kept him special, and now he's absolutely not special. He's absolutely just the guy on the show, and it's really I think like you, what you said. It's inevitable because the raw writing is so bad, it's so pat and like formulaic that no you can't avoid it. You can't be on that show every week and not turn into a boring 
like pod person like of WWE of like of a wrestler. Basically, it's basically a new version of what happened in the '80s, where like gritty wrestlers would join the WWF and just become these like cartoony mm. pod people. Now it's not really that they're becoming cartoony; they're just becoming like they're just saying all this vapid shit that they, their character wouldn't say. They're doing things that aren't interesting, and they just they can't remain interesting characters. I honestly have no idea how the New Day have avoided this fate. <laughs> I'm, I, I admire them so much for actually becoming more interesting in the confines of the current booking style because I genuinely would have said it was impossible a year ago for anyone to do that. So my hats are off to them. They are doing a great job. Uh, I, was, um, I didn't go to Raw, but I was near the Barclays Center right before Raw. And people were like heading to the arena, and the one chant I heard over and over again was for New Day. They are like they they've got something there. Um, I uh, for now. <laughs> what would you say? I said for now. Yes, but the point is they didn't at first, and then they got something, and so far they've run with it. Well, that, that's their origin story. Is like as indicting as, as anything that's happened in terms of, you know, if you listen to them on uh, Chris Jericho's podcast, it's, it's, it's about everything you'd expect out of, uh, the vision of Vince McMahon people have nowadays of, uh, uh, he's telling, they approached him and said, Hey, we have an idea for ourselves to be, uh, a heel group who aren't stereotypes, just heels. And, uh, we kind of do our thing. And then he ruminated on it for a long time and then came back to them and said, so I'm thinking <laughs> babyface Baptist preachers. And they were like, uh-huh. And then uh, as they ultimately get turned on, Vince tells them that, uh, oh, he he's so surprised. He thought it was going to be a huge deal. <laughs> and Tom, as, as you also brought up, it, it dashed Jericho's world of uh, his father figure, Vince McMahon, <laughs> being the grand manipulator who makes everything happen and yeah, like, the whole- forces things to fail to get them to be heels. The whole time we're just saying, oh, so he must have known that, you know, oh, like, mm-hmm. you know, fans were going to turn on you, and you'd get so much heat, and everything like that. And they're also like, no, he was absolutely completely shocked. He's like, oh, goddamn, I thought they were going to be used baby faces. <laughs> and this is, of course, the segment of Pod on Pod. One of Chris Jericho's uh, latter-day catchphrases, you've got sycophants, and then you can go all the way back to Welcome to Raw's Jericho. Uh, but now uh, he really he really leans on, that's the thing about Vince, man. He knows. He's like a mad scientist. <laughs> he, and it, he was, uh, ironically, I, I think... Um, he, can't, he can't actually think that, though. Like it's, He's got he's to oh. be doing a bit. He's got to be doing a bit. No, no, I think it's it's just cognitive dissonance that you have to believe. And if you don't believe, then your whole world is a lie. Uh, in the same way Chris believes that um, he and, and Triple H, like, we were just both too passionate, man. And now that we see how passionate each other are, we're like best friends now. <laughs> I mean, far, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't laugh. I, don't know, I do not know either of those men personally. It's interesting to me, did you know, did you, that uh, the story of the New Day is actually secretly the story of Roman Reigns because I think if they would have uh, given him the same trajectory of the New Day in terms of uh, the crowd rejecting him, turning him into a huge heel, letting him like 
uh, yell at them and be a dick and and uh, live into his personality and and live it up a little bit, then by just about now you'd have a, a really hot heel primed to turn babyface again. Yeah, I mean, and also, honestly, like, even though I'm not saying it would have been a good idea for business, imagine if they had done that any number of 77,000 times with John Cena over the past 10 years, how amazing that would have been, right? Like, I mean, just creatively, maybe not necessarily. Like, uh, I think that John Cena turning heel, and the timing has to be right. I think it's been right other times. I don't think it'd be, like, this exact moment. But John Cena turning heel, I think, could, you know, if he had a good babyface foil could spark like a, a hot period for WWE that might at least in the short term make up for whatever loss in merchandise John Cena turning heel would would get but they'd have to have the right baby face to go against him what do you think I think it's interesting and in, from two different perspectives because one it seems they've never been further away from that in terms of um one, going soft uh, a little bit ratings-wise when they tried to make John like the king of the mid-card for the last uh, five months or so, and now have, um, you know, I don't know how it's going to uh, play out for the rest of now until WrestleMania, but they're at least got John back in, in prominent positions and anchor uh, spots. And that whole story about how like his merchandise went down for a week when he lost to Kevin Owens and it immediately had to be rectified. Um, and at the same time, to whatever extent it was true that WWE was quote unquote hot right now, uh, the week of SummerSlam, I think that a true statement in and of itself, they were hot the weekend of SummerSlam and then immediately weren't. But I think in a, in an internet culture where wrestling has kind of become um, boy, uh, not quite a dignified nerd hobby, but at least something that is viewed in a different uh, niche, kitschy context yeah, people, than, people, it, than it was. People don't hide it as much anymore. I know, I know, right. I hide it a lot less than I would have like five years ago from like just people mm-hmm. in my day to day life. But so, yeah, that makes me think it it would be like a huge thing. Um, people would uh, freak out about it because it's so like forbidden. Uh, I wonder. Also, you know, what the dreams and destinies of Roman Reigns are, I'll say the same thing about him that I was saying last year, was that if one of the aces up their sleeve to get him a positive reaction, if that's, like, again going to be the challenge, would be uh, put him against John Cena in a Passing the Torch match and see if then you can like somehow co-opt the anti-Cena movement into a pro-Reigns movement. And it, it's so plausible that I hope they don't do it because it seems like it would almost work. But my dream scenario, of course, is uh, the fans then getting on Team Cena 100% uh, as the, the most satisfying twist ending to this long-term sack. Yeah, but, I, I uh, feel like there's a decent chance that would happen, yeah. Wouldn't that be... The best thing, the best long-term storyline of all time in professional wrestling. I think it would it would only last, like, everyone getting on Team Cena would only last as long as he's wrestling Roman Reigns. I hope to God they have the self-awareness to pull it off. Because if it was just, like, the people who are like, huh, say what you will about Roman Reigns, but at least he ain't John Cena, the guy who's been so long such a win man who ruins things. It's like, no, 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 no. That's what they want you to do. You got to... You gotta be one step ahead of them, or two steps ahead. 
You know, it's funny. The one thing that John Cena has been able to avoid is the ire of fans for, like, his politicking. You know, even though I'm sure it happens. You know, and he doesn't lose that often. But it's it's kind of funny to me that now, finally, there's a story of John Cena wielding his evil influence politically. And it's all about <laughs> keeping the women's, the, the Divas title on, on his girlfriend. And that story seemed like such fan fiction to me of... And according to Dave Meltzer, there was some element of truth to it, but the timeline was just different. But like, it's like a Mad Libs version of a wrestling rumor where it's like, take John Cena, bad. Bella's, bad. Uh, competitive women's division, good. And then fix it up into like a tasty, tasty story. Um, but yeah, it, ironically, John Cena's on quite the ass-beating tour at SummerSlams. Everyone's taking him down. Aside from the Nexus thing, which was a major snafu, and, and the one thing people, uh, John Cena politics truthers, point to as far as him uh, secretly manipulating everything this whole time while maintaining plausible deniability, uh, they all got him, man. Punk beat him. Brian kicked him in the face and pinned him. Brock Lesnar obliterated him. And then uh, John Stewart hit him with an object. Did. A real futile streak. Tom, don't let us roll over you just because you're on a landline phone. No, it's perfectly fine. That's not, I mean, it was hey, you're on a, you're on a, wait, 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 you're on a oh, landline? <laughs> Compared to our technology, it's like a landline is what I meant. Yeah. So you can see I didn't make a dumb mistake just now. I, I'm all the way back here in 2006 on the iPhone. I was going back to the point like, about Cena turning heel. Like, I, I don't know. I think you might have nothing. I've been setting this up with the way you're talking, but you're talking about, you know, they're probably in the worst position to do so because A, like the ratings are very low, and B, and I don't know if the second, they were going to set this up, the second part is like, to me, Roman Reigns, like, even factoring in like the failed babyface running later this year, to me, it seems like this is the weakest, like, he's ever been. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because, like, I figured, like, all right, the Bray Wyatt feud, you know, all right, so something for him to do, get an easy win and move on, and then. It looks like, you know, all right, SummerSlam, like, that's the blow-off. And when, uh, you know, they had, when it became apparent, it was like, all right, you know, they're stuck now with this Braun Strowman guy. And, like, as soon as it became apparent, this Wyatt feud is just going to keep extending, I'm almost wondering, like, are they, like, I know they are, but from, if you were just watching the show without knowing, you know, what was going on, like, they're kind of, that rain scene, I think, still makes the long, most long-term sense of direction. Um like, I almost wonder, like, Roman Reigns is almost an afterthought that it's like, all right, like, are they still, is he still the guy? But on the yeah. other hand, it's like they really don't have anyone else that are going to realistically push in that spot. Well, so. in my opinion with Roman Reigns at this point, he absolutely needs a at least a short heel run to get back to, like, some sort of level of relevance. Because I, I don't see the crowds organically getting back on his side. I, I, I just... I just feel like it's he's been he's been ruined too badly by bad booking, and you know maybe an unfair crowd react crowd reaction. But I, I think he absolutely needs to turn heel. Um, I don't know when, but soon, and uh, maybe it won't even have to be for that long. But I I think he needs to turn heel in order to get to the level that even to even get a chance of getting back to that level that they want him at. Uh, I don't know if you guys agree with that. I think about it. It's the odd thing again is like they're not even booking him in a way where it's like okay they're obviously trying to make him the guy and failing. It seems like they're booking him as just like, I mean better than Dean Ambrose, but like all right, just very similar 
to the rest of the mid like of the mid card. Let me ask you this, and this goes to the both of you. So, not to in any way uh, give credence to Chris Jericho's. That's the thing about Vince, man. He knows. He's like pulling the strings. So, do you see this uh, flawed thought process of uh, Reigns, WrestleMania, and beyond booking of Roman Reigns, the screwed and embattled babyface who the crowd is going to rally behind because. Uh, the system is holding him down, and he's not allowed to win these matches. Like, somehow, in their misguided thinking, they said, Ah, I see. I see how this works now. Well, we'll just do it with this guy, and then everything will be perfect. It never had occurred to me. Oh, really? See, that's exactly what I, I thought with uh, the way of him coming up short and getting screwed out of the ladder match and doing a job to Bray Wyatt. It's like, oh, he loses now? I guess he's not the, the teacher's pet anymore. He loses. Like, I think they were self-aware enough to at least, you know, again, go off, you know, kind of put the, uh, take, you know, take the foot off the gas pedal as far as, like, all right, this is the man who always wins. But mm-hmm. it seems like there's nothing to it. Like, I don't, they've, I think they've just kind of gone to, like, default booking, and they've made them. Sure. I don't think they're smart enough to pull that off if they were trying effectively. Like, they would make it more obvious, you know, like, oh, Roman Reigns lost the match. Roman Reigns is on a losing streak, you know. <laughs> they, would probably do, they would probably do the losing streak, in it, you know, um, like, you know, with Fandango, you know, oh, Fandango, you know, Roman Reigns really needs to turn it around. Um, you know, then they're not as smart. They're not smart enough to downplay Roman Reigns as some sort of, you know, double secret, you know, you know what I mean, like, trying to outsmart the audience kind of thing. <laughs> Double secret. Yes, I love it. <laughs> oh, I, but that's that's it to me, is like, I want to see them try. And I, I know tri- Triple H on some of those NXT conference calls has been like, mm, yeah, you know, yeah, it's almost like the thing now. So, could be the, the big idea that they're, and their interpretation of it is the same way that um, the uh, Google translation of the NXT women's division becomes the hashtag Divas Revolution in three three women factions. It's like, oh, I get it. I totally get it. I, I take nothing but glee and satisfaction in Reigns. Uh, I'm not going to say failure, but like not being where he was supposed to be now because I just worked myself up into such a tizzy beforehand that I, I can't help but take this as a victory lap because I warned him. Right? Don't say I didn't warn you at length, uh, at long, long length, that, that this was going to happen. And I was correct, because I'm smart. I'm a smart person, you guys. And um, so it's extra ironic to me that I think Reigns booking in a vacuum as all the things that people said were missing in him going into WrestleMania. He's still associated with Dean Ambrose and their friends instead of like completely uh, disavowing each other and he's been put in a position to actually uh, show stuff in the ring and have great matches instead of just being kind of like a, a, a work rate cipher of a guy who shows up and uh, wins matches and then is the challenger and um, he's at least being a little more himself with it as kind of an odd emphasis on loving to drink that beer all the time and party uh, but it's still certainly better than the Jack and the Beanstalk and Magic Beans and uh, Declit Declare shit that was being scripted for him as he was about to, to face his destiny. It's all the things they were should have been doing with him. And had they been doing them at this time last year, I don't know what would have happened. But 
it's too late. You broke him, and that's funny. I, I still, yeah. I, I still think that he would have had some problems just because of the notion that he was the anointed one. You know what I mean? I agree with all that, but it's just odd to me that, you know, like they've kind of, you know, again, they tried to fix him, but they've broken him so badly that it seems like, again, he's farther from ever going, you know, not, you know, from being the top baby face. And just looking around the roster, um, just like, okay, and it's definitely a time when it's like, you know, they were trying to move on from John Cena. Like, I almost think, like, it's a weird thing where Roman is farther away from being the top baby face you know, as possible as he's ever been, but it's also someone looking at the roster, just some of the other candidates have also fallen back so far that he's almost even more obviously like the best choice, if that makes sense, because they just killed Dean Ambrose, like for as bad as they booked Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose as like the little buddy you beat up to get to Roman Reigns has been killed even worse. His barber beefcake. Yeah, yeah exactly. Daniel yeah, Bryan yeah. is like, Daniel Bryan is dead, you know, and then, <laughs> and then, and then, like even someone like you know, like the Kevin Owens, like Cesaro, like I think the thing was, like as looking at like Kevin Owens and Cesaro and Rusev, by be even though they were really doing anything, um, like I, I look at Cesaro specifically, even if he was still kind of treading water, just being in the same like hemisphere as non Cena kind of told people like, all right, this is an important, this is an important act, you know, whatever, and he was able like kind of, you know, now Cena would get a huge reaction and they'd be able to kind of transition to Zazaro or, like, Rusev or whoever else was in these angles just because by proxy of, you know, being with John Cena and just, like, that Kevin Owens-Cesaro match and even like, not the one at SummerSlam so much at the road, but the one this past week on Raw, just by kind of taking the U.S. title and, like, John Cena out of the equation is just very much, like, it feels colder than ever and these are some of, like, the most marketable talents. If you want, if you say, okay, Roman Reigns is no longer the guy, the you know alternatives the fans were getting behind just no longer exist. Now, it's it's remarkable, and it was even at SummerSlam it was remarkable to me how everyone outside of like that main sphere was pr- pretty much got cold reactions. You know, I mean, especially I mean, some people had good reactions for their entrances. I would say Cesaro and Owens did. But the matches were very cold, you know, in terms of crowd reactions. The crowd were not into them. You know, D- Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns uh, included. You know, people were not into them. You know, the Cena match, the Lesnar match, the opener with Orton, the New Day. The crowd were into all those guys. And really, nobody else in terms of actually getting emotionally invested in the action in the ring. And it's not like it was a crowd that wasn't interested in seeing wrestling matches because they got into, a, like, all the main event matches. But... Um, but you know, yeah, it's 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 really sad that you know Ambrose and Owens and Cesaro, like you said, even like Ziggler and Rusev, people don't really care to watch them wrestle because they're. I mean, this is this is a problem that's been going back for years. But I think there was at least a short period where they seemed to be getting out of that funk a little bit, and I think now they're right back in completely in the funk where ev- where everybody is completely meaningless, everybody except for the select few. Well, the, the the way they do with Panache now, to me, is is you know the the old adage about how Vince brought back ECW just to kill the ECW chance by giving it to him and then whoops, tricking them, uh, is they let someone do something so great and then let them go back to nothingness that that's what really like breaks the spirit of the crowd. Like Ambrose's hot run, Ziggler's Survivor Series, um, 
Cesaro's multiple uh, times where he, he uh, poked his head above water, and then you pull the carpet out, and that's just like, ooh, wow. Because it's like, we could have had this, but we'll never have this. It's too beautiful for this world. Yeah, it goes back to what? Kofi Kingston in, like, what year was that? 08? 09? Where he, like, ha- was about to have a moment, and then suddenly he was just Kofi Kingston again? Well, that's what the the funny image of the S.H.I.E.L.D. versus the Wyatts, man. I guess they're not the S.H.I.E.L.D. They're the friends of Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns. The Reigns-Ambrose friendship versus family the Wyatt versus family. family. Yes, is... Uh, what a nostalgic time just two years ago for when Roman Reigns was cool, Bray Wyatt was fresh and intriguing, and Dean Ambrose was an anticipated like future top guy main eventer. Luke Harper is essentially in the same spot and still still fine and lovely. Um, and and now like same act that that got the crowd to chant "This is awesome" for their stare downs. This time chanted "Roman sleeping." I mean, I that that. That this is awesome, chant. That was a year and a half ago, where they were just saying like this. That was like we're going, you know, around the time of WrestleMania 30. That was sort of like a brief peak as far as getting a bunch of acts hot all at once and making it like more than this week. So I thought like the period, the couple of weeks around WrestleMania 30, were where I felt like that the company really had a chance to go into a really exciting creative direction. Um, and they completely blew it, and I don't think they ever got that chance back. And I think they could get it back, you know, by moving some chess pieces around. But I mean, it's really, I mean, I mean, I don't know what, what you think Dean Ambrose could have been a year ago, but it seemed like he could have been something real. You know what I mean? I don't know. Do you agree with me? First of all, I just want to make the point. Like fairly recently, I still have the um, Raw from after last year's WrestleMania on my DVR, and I watched it maybe like about two or three months ago. And looking back now, it's amazing. Like of all the people, of all like the fresh young people, like you know, like fresh new people that they were pushing at the time, the one now that's probably the most over with the audience is Biggie, <laughs> who was just kind of cratered and then kind of found his way all the way back again. But I mean, definitely, definitely. I mean, like I kind of subscribe. Uh, you know, the, like Todd Martin thought, where it's like, oh, like Dean Ambrose is obvious. Like they'll figure it out, but Dean Ambrose is obviously the guy. That's the comedy of it. Is there? There was the the first Ambrose Rollins feud, and then the putting the finger on the scale of him losing repeatedly to Rollins and Bray Wyatt, and then there was the Ambrose Redux, where Ambrose's innate overness and connection with the crowd just like powered him back up into that spot being acceptable again and it was still just to fill time and put Rollins over and now he's here as uh it, it's the true comedy of being like oh look at look at how the crowd has such like a, a a unique connection to Dean Ambrose how can we transfer that to Roman Reigns instead of just being like oh well that's good let's use that then I did have a point I wanted to make about SummerSlam weekend um, which is that you know, everyone was talking, maybe even just Dave Meltzer, but people were talking about um, how WWE seemed so hot that week because of all the buzz in New York and all like the the media uh, stuff. You know, John Cena on the Today Show and ESPN covering things, and the three straight nights at the Barclays Center. And I just think back to the fact that their original choice, because remember originally last year they were like we're moving SummerSlam back to the New York area. It's going to be in Summerine in the New York area. And then they ended up picking the Izod Center in the, the Meadowlands. <laughs> and which, I mean, the show, shows there are always shitty. The crowd's never that good. And then it closed. So they had to, as their second choice, come to the Barclays Center. And like, 
it just seems crazy to me that that wasn't their first choice. To me, it was a no-brainer when they first said it. It was like, oh, yeah, Barclays Center. Like, you know, it's, it's a hip market. You know, it would get a lot of buzz. You know, they I didn't know they would be able to do the three straight nights. But just even SummerSlam alone, it would have gotten a lot more buzz than doing it in Jersey. And it's just funny. Like, so much of the positive stuff that came out of this weekend would not have happened if they had – if the IZOD Center had stayed in business and they had actually just had SummerSlam there. <laughs> And that's really silly to me. It shows like some lack of forward thinking on WWE's part that they wouldn't just know that it was obvious that they ha- if they were going to do it around here, they would obviously have to be in Brooklyn, and like they, it would be such good publicity for them. And then it was. So it weren't. They, they got lucky um, that the, that the uh, Meadowlands closed. I can't speak to the innate nature of Brooklyn, but I'd love to hear from Tom. I hear there's just yeah. a real vibrancy to that neighborhood. Well, yes, but it's just like. Yeah, I'm imagining that. I completely forgot because I believe the initial plan was just like there was no NXT show, and that Raw was going to be a Brooklyn, and they kind of fell into you know it being two nights in a row because they had to move um, SummerSlam to the same venue as Raw the day after. But um, yeah, the thing that done now, that's absolutely crazy because like there is the sense that you know like you know the Barclays Center it's. It doesn't have quite the reputation as like Master Garden of being a destination, but it's just a very easy access for like mass transit, kind of in like versus yeah the Meadowlands, which is completely I mean it's yeah, an old outdated venue and it's very uh, you know out like it's very much out of the way you know it's very like it's in the grand scheme of things you know or you can consider it part of New York, but it's in the same way that like with college football like you know Rutgers is you know the New York's you know football team and everything where it's it's nearby in the grand scheme of things, but it's still very, like New Jersey. It's not the same thing. It's very disconnected. It's something you have to go out of your way to do. So I'm even something like, you know, I'm thinking like you. Um, I go watch some of the ESPN coverage with my coach and everything, and you know, have people milling about and stuff like that, and it kind of like looks like a hot thing. So they would have had that, you know, same setup outside of like guys at it. it would have just been like an empty parking lot, like maybe a few people tailgating around that. But also, also, I'm sorry, just just real quick. Also, not just the practical stuff, but Brooklyn has like a cultural cachet, at least right now, that obviously East Rutherford doesn't have. That's all I was going to say. Sorry, yeah. Justin. And I think that goes into like the the pop culture Venn diagram of having the two Jonathans there, Coachman and Stewart. Now, I guess since John S., uh, that's his stage name, is uh, um, from New Jersey, so he may have done it anyway. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't think that could be understated as for like what made WWE seem hot for whatever it's worth for those couple days. And their their hotness or lack thereof or just in and of itself, I think what it shows is that WWE as a company, what they can, they're not going to like get overall business momentum, but they can be a conglomerate that puts on incredibly lucrative wrestling weekends that super serve their hardcore fan base and have like uh, three or four nights on a whole weekend that can uh, like make themselves a lot of money and have uh, their fans be very passionate and outspoken to cheer wrestlers and just kind of, for those three magical days, try and will the booking into being good or satisfying to themselves? Uh, so like, I really think a bit more, like, and to kind of go back on the previous point, uh, more like uh, when you know, Dave was saying, you know, all right, like, the product's hot. I don't think it's, you know, again, hot too hot from a business standpoint, but more so less. I think those weekends sort of, and like, you know, the WrestleManias and everything I have kind of helped as far as 
making it more like we were talking about culturally acceptable and more I would say like entrenched as part of like a legitimate sports you know sport fish landscape kind of thing like you know I don't know if it would be to the level of like NASCAR or UFC or anything like that but just as something that's like all right you need to take semi-seriously I think this weekend was a big help, even if, again, I think, you know, they're really no long-term. We're not going to look back at this, you know, the start of, like, any sort of business uptick or anything like that. Yeah. Ironically, TNA got there first by having their uh, impact uh, be recorded in the Fox box. Remember that? <laughs> but uh, that aside, go ahead, man. Yeah, well, in summary, I think that point, the little tangent we just went on, is, like, WWE has no idea anymore how to book week-to-week wrestling in a compelling way. You know, and like to make it like a, a satisfying like soap opera style show, but they have created this new paradigm where, like, they create basically their own equivalent of like Comic Con now, a couple times a year, where like you said, they people descend on this town for this like great event, and they 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 have their shit together enough as a company to promote really fun weeks and cool events like and big culminating spectacles, whether it be WrestleMania or SummerSlam or even Monday Night Raw. And then, um, and I, you know, maybe that's enough to sustain them, because you know it's it's very satisfying for that period. It's sort of like they have this like dream match thing going on, at least a couple of them. And um, you know, whether it be Triple H versus Sting, if that was a dream match for anybody, I I don't know if it was, or like Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar, or Daniel Bryan's you know conquest, or whatever it is. And like you know, so people just enjoy that in a vacuum, and then they. Uh, you know, they go home and they wait for next year's um, WrestleCon, not the other WrestleCon, but the WWE version of WrestleCon. That's the, they call WrestleMania. Um, and um, and um, I don't know. I think it's, it's 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 I haven't thought of it that way before, but that's kind of what it is now. Like the value that you get out of WWE is really completely predicated around WrestleMania weekend, and then a few good matches peppered in throughout the year. That is my point entirely, and so now it used to be, you know, you play out the string for a whole year just so you can have a WrestleMania weekend and and go wild and perhaps be from Europe and come over here and buy exorbitant packages to do all that stuff. And now if they can bisect the year with this big SummerSlam thing, then uh, maybe the direction should be to also have a Royal Rumble weekend like that, um, which is runs close to wrestlemania but i don't think the rumble always has like a lot of uh, excitement in spite of the last couple of years so i don't think having one in january would would um uh take a bite out of the one in april and all it really means is you run an nxt on saturday and you have the raw after wildness crowd on a monday and then you got a whole thing then you got three of them <laughs> And then they'd have to do serious, serious work to build Survivor Series back up into something uh, people give a shit about. But then you can just have those, go back to having those um, uh, four anchors, and you just kind of kill time in between them with your stupid three-hour show yeah, and, and, that no one likes. And I think if you're expecting people to travel and pay like you know thousand, like thousand dollars for a weekend, I think it's fine if you just actually do it twice or three times a year, and you don't need that fourth one, honestly. Um, because you could you could certainly overdo it like they eventually did with pay-per-views, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you want you, you still want stuff to be special, and I guess the thing that would continue to make WrestleMania the most special is the fact that it's in a giant stadium, um, and you know the access maybe would be the other thing that they don't put at all the other sh- all the other events. Yes, that in the Hall of Fame. 
Right. So, um, so yeah. So there's that. But yeah, I, it's 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 fascinating to think that our our ex, our standards have lowered to the point where it's like, well, we can't reasonably expect them to have a compelling promotion. Uh, Heavens all, no. All year. Um, so might as well uh, just emphasize the strong suits, which is putting together these great uh, these great events. Well, and I think one of the the editorial points of you and me talking on the show has been the change in the crowd from uh, cheer baby faces boo heels to cheer wrestlers and personalities and resent the company and like cheer them to be allowed to be booked to be good and not be buried from punk to brian and now essentially a whole roster of those people yeah and but i wonder if they've kind of like sucked the will out of the crowd to even do that anymore because there's really like no there's really no cause at this point you know cesaro a little bit but it has i don't think it's really caught on you know like i at SummerSlam, i didn't really feel a strong cesaro sentiment um you know, I thought that crowd, considering who you they were supposedly were in that crowd, were very easy, were very quick to not get so into the Kevin Owens versus Cesaro match, which you'd think if they were like the, that hardcore of hardcores crowd, they would absolutely get into the Cesaro versus Kevin Owens match. You know what though? I think if it was the opener, you would have had a Rey Mysterio Kurt Angle or a Rey Mysterio Dolph Ziggler type of uh, really memorable match. Yeah, I think I think you're right, but if the crowd really felt that strongly for those guys, they would have gotten up for them even later in the show, you know what I mean? Um, I, I think, I mean, I think they can get it back, they just need to find the one guy that the crowd is just, like, super attached to, like they were with Brian, you know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Sami Zayn, I can hold out hope if I want to, right? Um, or Finn Balor. Uh, uh, Finn Balor's too handsome, though. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> uh, there's t- going to be too much resentment there. Um, things people want to do that face. Uh, yeah, I think their best bet in getting people excited is doing something crazy with like somebody you wouldn't expect turning heel. Like I said. Well, yeah, I agree with you that in terms of big grounds, groundswell, uh, there isn't one for Brian anymore. There isn't one for Ambrose, whatever one that was there for Ziggler at some of his high points isn't there. Um, Cesaro is just a, a polite attempt by some of his true believers, but it's more just like that crowd has chosen people who they will always pop for. As I asked Tom when Ziggler made his entrance, does New York still believe in Dolph Ziggler? And he said yes. So there is no, there's going to be no hijack uh, raw or, and mass protest for Dolph Ziggler or Cesaro anymore. But those people, and even like new champions they've chosen like Sasha Banks, are going to be the ones who get like cheered in spite of whatever else goes on should uh should i take that as an opportunity to segue into sasha banks and the yeah and the and the women um well just because i mean uh i mean that that whole production with uh banks and bailey was you know some like just like really great pro wrestling stuff like just spectacular you know really good match great match um you know great accoutrement around it um, but it, to me, it just, it made what happened at SummerSlam so sad because, you know, the crowd was just as dead as always and they did what they always do, you know, which is basically, we're going to throw all the women into this match for a while and just have them do a match. And it's like, do you think it's that they don't get it or do you think it's intentional sabotage to some degree because someone in the back is just like, no, this is what the women are supposed to be and they're not going to be anything else. 
And by that's that, and by that someone, I mean Vince McMahon and Kevin. Dunn. I think there's plenty of push and pull. Um, Triple H and Stephanie wanted to succeed, but also wanted as this self-congratulatory thing of like, look at us. They were like Lindsay Funke and her fundraisers, and Hoop and all that. Um, it's a dip a pet all over again, Matt. Uh, to, the story for me wasn't even uh, Saturday to Sunday, but it was a, a Goldilocks and the Three Bears things with all three nights, because in reverse, because first it was <laughs> it was just right, and then it was eh, and then it was very much too soft. And he's, the 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 difference and the control group uh, of the three experiments, you know exactly what it was was putting them in this horrible scripted. Uh, raw segment um and meaningless match and and not having them in the right positions i think um something like the nxt match is just still out of reach uh i think having them as sort of pushed figures who get to have slightly better matches is a positive compared to where it was but at the same time like it missing in the point in such a way is almost more frustrating than if they hadn't tried. Yeah, just like they need to, like the SummerSlam was kind of again, and then Monday was a complete disaster with like Nikki Bell even coming out of here and saying like, you know, oh, you beat me, but it doesn't matter. And it's just like, okay, there's a. They need to just like I know you guys don't watch UFC, but it's like they're trying to get the Ronda Rousey thing. But the amusing thing, like when it comes to UFC's women's booking is outside of Ronda Rousey, they actually do a pretty horrible job of like when they introduce the women of taking it seriously, it was just, okay, like here is this one star woman we always put on top, you know, Ronda Rousey. And with very few exceptions, they've like, even when trying to create new contenders and everything like they've it hasn't been something that they've emphasized outside of a Ronda Rousey fight. So like, Again, like again, you know, they've they've gone from I wouldn't even say being being pushed more that the division is being taken more seriously, even if it's not a lot good. But they really just need some sort of focus as far as like, okay, just pick one of the like if you're going to replicate the Ronda Rousey model, just pick one of these women and just say like, okay, this is the woman we are making a star, and then the center every everything else will come. Like you know, just make even like a well, I guess I would say make a female non Tina, but we kind of have that. It hasn't really worked. Um, but just do something again. Someone that the division is built around that's. Not Nikki, not Nikki Bella, which I'm not even opposed to Nikki Bella as a as a concept, but given that she's more like, you know, she's someone who was already there, it needs to be one of these new people. And I mean, I think the obvious choice is Sasha Banks, and that is what the crowd is, you know, literally telling them, we want Sasha. But oddly, it seems like of the three women they brought up, she's the one that seems to just be emphasized the least. The er of it to me is... I don't think there's anything wrong with an angle where Paige recruits Becky Lynch and Charlotte and Sasha Banks to run out the old guard and then split off and do their own thing. But this three-way thing where they're all equal forces and, you know, um, it, it accomplishes nothing and actually diminishes it, which is great when that happens. Like, that was um, the place, I was at the thing that, like... I mean, they weren't consistent at all with the direction as far as, like, the Bellas being faces or heels or, like, three of the cure and everything. But I almost fear, feel like in a certain way the Divas Division was actually stronger before they 
built, you know, brought this game up because at least like there was an angle. It was like, okay, Paige is trying to overthrow the Bellas, and it's like they weren't consistent with, uh, with all, and it was still kind of vague. But it's almost like, all right, it was at least a direction. You know, it was something. There was there was a focus. So I think it doesn't do that while kind of taking it more seriously. I mean, it'd be at least better than whatever this is. Yes, imagine if um, Bailey versus Sasha Banks, in addition to having Naomi and uh, Tamina in the crowd, and Naomi marked out for Bailey babyface spot, which was endearing, but she broke kayfabe. Uh, so you had them in the crowd, and Alicia Fox was in it, and it was a triple threat, and the Bells were on commentary, and Team PCV were all watching on the monitor at that 35-degree angle, all being like, hmm, a match, interesting then, like, nothing resonates. So, um, what can I tell you? Instead of uh, dwelling on that, because uh, it's been very much done to death, uh, something that's also been done to death is praising the match, but I'd be happy to do that, because um, I thought it was um, uh, the best women's match in uh, company history and just a, such a perfect presentation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I you couldn't have asked for it to go better, I don't think. Um because first of all, the match itself was excellent. Um, you know, easily one of the best matches in WWE this year, maybe the best. Um, and then when you add the emotional stuff that you just don't really get with WWE, except for once in a blue moon when somebody like in real life overcomes obstacles like Daniel Bryan. You know, I can't think of the last time you actually got an emotional reaction from something that was purely storyline in WWE. I mean, I guess. You know, there's the Sami Zayn title win in NXT from la- from last year, but there was also an element of real life involved in that victory. Uh, I-, I think the Bailey thing. You know, uh, would you say there was like that 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 emotion was completely based on the storyline that they had written, or do you think there was some real life involved in that? Because uh, maybe maybe I just missed the real life story there. Yeah, I thought it was kind of like a, a pretenzies Daniel Bryan in a controlled environment. Right, and like they can't, they they have not been able to do that, uh, unless you can tell me, give me another example. I can't remember the last time they were able to elicit an, a, an emotional response based on just something that they booked. Um, so I think that's that's a huge accomplishment in and of itself that they were able to do that in 2015, and that they pulled it off so well. Yeah, I mean, like, I, yeah, I can all I can speak to me is like, yeah, that was an emotional level, really. Because I mean, I don't really follow, like, I kind of know what's going on, but I don't really follow the NXT product. You know, apparently that's the same boat that all three of us are in. Which is, yeah, well, as far the three as, people you want to hear from analyze NXT, but I don't think that's bad because then there's like NXT true believers who are like, oh my god, Blue have pants. you seen? <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, yeah, I would say, like, as far as someone who doesn't watch just the specials, like, even something like um, the Sasha Banks before way the title win, you know, or even, like, the Becky Lynch match, the people are handing, handing, you know, talking about, oh, it was a great moment, oh, like, character development. With the Bailey-Sasha Banks match, I think in a vacuum, at least for me, that elicited a lot more of, like, an emotional response, just the way that it was booked and everything. Two things I think are funny in a cool way. Uh, have you guys listened to Ric Flair's podcast? I um, I have, yes.
I it's it's really endearing and it's a surprise to me because like the the Ric Flair religion has sort of like taken such a hit over the last few years that it, you forgot about like charming and really likable Ric Flair who not only on top of that like has this absurdly detailed memory as far as doing things in wrestling um, so it's it's really enjoyable but the part I get a kick out of is whenever Ric Flair uh, talks about and says the names Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch and Bailey, and it reminds me of another Mad Forestine deep cut uh, of when uh, Eddie Guerrero won the World Wrestling Entertainment Championship at No Way Out 2004, and there's a picture of him on the website uh, hugging Vince McMahon afterwards, and Matt said, <laughs> like, in some way you don't think Vince McMahon knows who Eddie Guerrero is, so it's a weird picture. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way about, like, Ric Flair being like, Becky Lynch, Becky Lynch, these girls are, they're better than me, good good lord. Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, I did say that, like, like, like Vince McMahon doesn't know who Eddie Guerrero is, <laughs> um, but I, um... But it's actually really heartwarming to see Ric Flair be likable because God knows we need some old wrestlers to um, be likable at this point in our lives. You know what I mean? We we spend so much damn time watching this stuff, right? So wouldn't you say like we we need somebody that doesn't seem completely disgusting? And if it turns out to sh- and yet. if it turns out to shockingly be Ric Flair, then uh, what an upset! Yeah, like good enough for me. And it, it's strange. On the relative scale of wrestling atrocities, Ric Flair <laughs> is our champion of this older generation. For now. Mm, yep. <laughs> Barring who knows what. <laughs> now, um, I think it's funny that Lana uh, has gone from someone who got a lot of acclaim as a non-wrestling performer to a total drag. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Pantsuits AJ, the general manager of <laughs> Uh... But at the same time, uh, her spot, um, she got got a big pop uh, in her match at your show. And some some basic archetypes of wrestling, including the uh, opposing valets, babyface and heel fight, uh, works. Yeah. That reminds Steve Austin of an old story about blah, 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 being a podcast. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, um, I actually I was talking to Tom about this, just about how, like, Lana was considered really good for a while, right? And and now yep. she's pretty much like as a performer. I, I'm not going to say useless, but they don't make use of her talents at all because I don't know. Like that's just not the role that seems like good for her. And as far as I can tell, Summer Rae, they don't really. She's not really much in that department as far as like on the mic and stuff. So they basically took somebody that had talent. And they removed them from a situation where they could show it. And it's kind of emblematic of a lot of the problem right there, right? That is correct. Yeah. I don't, I like, foo. That's some of the great Vince thinking is like, how can she be a heel when she's so damn sexy? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Was the, was, the, um, was the exact quote, I think, from either Day or Ryan that Vince didn't think that people could boo a hot blonde or whatever? That's right. Yeah. Which I find I I can't think of other examples off the top of my head, but I feel like there's always been this like subtle thing that Vince just does not think Summer Rae is all that attractive, mm. <laughs> or he's just putting in these spots. Like it's like, all right, so if you're thinking that, then what does it say about what you think about Summer? Um, well, also, but, it doesn't it also show that Vince Vince is just like 
literally senile? Well, yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, was, just uh, wrong, not, yeah. Not, not just wrong, but, like, legitimately, like, senile. Like, he doesn't forget all the times that he had the wrestlers, I mean, the fans booing hot blondes. Like, the, all the many times that's happened. Yeah, I feel like there's this certain archetype in not just wrestling, but fiction of a girl who is rude and stuck up and arrogant and says mean things. It might be misogynistic as a type, but it still exists and is an easy, you know, it, it's an easy heat generator. Hmm. Well, Vincent can put his babyface mixed tag Survivor Series team together of the New Day and Lana and... Um, <laughs> well, actually, actually, I think as previously established, due to uh, I think they would get uh, what is the black man, white woman heat. So you may not want. To oh, do that. that's right. Yeah. All that heat on the the uh, uh, white woman because she gets to hang out with a cool black guy. Make make clear that this is you parroting a uh, someone else's point of view, not your own. Yeah. Yes. This is, uh, it's this even worse deep. because it's she gets to hang out with three cool black guys. <laughs> deconstruction of a trope deconstruction of a trope <laughs> mm. what else you got boys as far as the entire show yeah um does uh matt you got uh the, the feed me more quesadilla i believe it was i did, <gasps> I did not get it i did not get it but oh. I, was, I got i got nachos no yes okay so so yeah so in numerous food stands around the Barclays Center, um, they added a WWE item, or at least changed the name of one I other have the item. List, I have the list. I have the list. Yes, so, yes. So I spent. Um, I missed most of the Roman Reigns match right after the entrance because I, you know, was like, all right, I've seen from the past. You know, I'm a regular. I'm a regular Barclays Center. That you know, for certain events, sometimes they will change like some of the food on the item to. Uh, you know, be more appropriate with it. So there's the feeding more case to do, which was the only one, as far as I could tell, that A, really made any sense, and B, was an actual, like, new food item on, like, specially done for this event. Yes, yes, because um, no, normally at the Colexco booth, they have a three-cheese quesadilla, and they had that, but then they also had the Feed Me More quesadilla, which had four cheeses. I'm, but the so fourth it's, cheese so it's, was so, a mystery cheese. The fourth cheese was a mystery cheese. cheese. The three cheese quesadilla lifted the three cheeses. The four cheese quesadilla, the Feed Me More quesadilla, was just four cheeses. It may not even be the same three cheeses as the normal quesadilla. Yeah, it might just, be, might just be completely different cheeses. But basically, the Feed Me More quesadilla was basically short for Feed Me More Cheeses quesadilla. Yes. So, and, more, and one thing I really want to say is uh, 3MB quesadilla. And I said it, <laughs> and I'm happy about that. Go ahead. So the so most of them weren't too great. There's something like the quote unquote high flying buffalo wings, which okay, or the attitude adjustment chicken tenders and fries, which okay. That I don't it's, understand. It's just a thing with a thing. But the three top ones I would say are um, there's a Nathan stand at Barclays, and they have what's traditionally known as the Coney Island hot dog, but. In this case, it was for SummerSlam only, and possibly NXT. It was dubbed the the Architects Coney Dog. <laughs> okay. The your normal che- your normal cheeseburger became the bashing Bulgarian burger. Which it is alliterative. Which I assume is Rusev, but if, correctly if I'm wrong. Like I do not. I've, he has been the Bulgarian brute. There has been the ravishing Russian, but I've never heard of bashing <laughs> Bulgarian. Um, but to me, the top one by far is there is a pizza stand that serves your normal Sicilian square slice of pizza. 
and this is normally just called a slice of pizza. But on this special night, it was called the Orton Cheese Square. <laughs> now, this is great for two things, because one is just Orton, not even the Randy Orton thing, not even the Viper's favorite cheese square or anything like that. But the reason I love this is, now, tell me this is not like, I'm very disappointed that Vince McMahon has not banned the word pizza. Because I feel like if they had, that would be the verbiage the NASA would be forced to use. Like, I think, like, the day after they had something where, like, Byron Saxon was ordering, like, Domino's pizza. And it just seems like that would be a perfect opportunity. Like, you know, Vince would be like, you know, well, goddamn it, the word pizza is too ethnic or whatever. And it doesn't, oh, you know, oh, I'm ordering Domino's and we're going to have some delicious cheese squares coming in just 30 minutes, you know, by the network. Simply beautiful. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, pizza's too specific. <laughs> so I have a question. Yeah. What should they do with Brock Lesnar? Okay, I'm going to table that question because here are some foods with wrestler names. Okay. Uh, candy cane. Get it? <laughs> I get it. No, wait, yes. That, that, that really should be, like, the third, like, there's, you know, Demon Kane, Corporate Kane, just have them come back candy and just, like, cane. just give candy to the fans. We're wearing, like, a dress up like an ice cream truck driver. <laughs> oh, it's Candy Kane. Uh, let's see. Um, and then this joke would be something like Black Kofi with two sugars or something like that. <laughs> it represents the other two. But in a way that's not... Like, so it would have to be more neutral and not so ethnically charged. It would have to just be statements. Um, and then uh, Damien Sandwich, of course. I got one. Mm. Yep. Seth Rolos. Seth Rolos. What are Rolos? They're like a chocolate caramel thing that you, like candy, like that you buy at a store and you eat them and they, they're chocolate and, the you know, caramel covered in chocolate, basically. Rubber stamped it. Um, Google it. R O L O S. You'll you'll have seen them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then some other foods that I definitely already know, and I'm not just scrolling through a list. Uh, would be um, um, <clears throat> uh, 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 like a, a Caesar O salad, right? That's yeah, that's pretty good. No one can deny that. That's <laughs> As the Ascension would say, welcome to the taste blend. <laughs> um, yeah, now hopefully someone is writing all this down. Uh, rye back, rye bread, right? That's that's some fan fan mango. <laughs> yes, good. I love it. What about like what about like pizza, like Ms. Pizza? <laughs> That's, especially with pizza being a banned term, that's one way to get around it. Um, Roman rain lettuce. Yeah, that's exactly mm. what I'm talking about. They should raise exactly it. Since you can't use her last name anyway, they should just rename her like Tamina Salsa. <laughs> I love it. Um, one thing, uh, someone who is. Uh, genetically a woman brought up to me that had never occurred to me this whole time of watching SummerSlam. Did you get, and do you think it is an intentional pun 
that the Cesaro section is a play on Cesarean <laughs> section? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, um, that, yes, I knew that, and it was, well, I assumed that, and it was very weird. I was very slow on the uptake the whole time. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's, they're repping Cesaro. Now I'm like, whoa. This whole, the whole thing is supposed to give birth to a new superstar, so there you go. Huh. I feel like there's something to do, something to do with Bean Ambrose, something. Huh. All right. Let's, Count it. Let's work Count it. this. Okay. That on its own uh, is fine and good. Bellary, like celery. <laughs> oh, which did we? I, just, I don't know what there is to say, but just people power. I didn't even know he was single. Oh, by the way, <laughs> by the way, they shouldn't have said the uh, architects Coney dogs. They could have called them Nathan's Seamus hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's how we do it. Now, no one do any more because you clearly went out on top. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Now, uh, yeah, Tom's right, though. The biggest story um, of our show that we've been leading up to would have to be the news that we may be breaking to you, uh, Mr. Forestine, right now, which is the nuptials announcement uh, of Mr. John Laurinaitis, a.k.a. Johnny Ace, a.k.a. Big Johnny, a.k.a. the executive vice president of talent relations and general manager of Raw and SmackDown, a.k.a. the leader of the people power movement. He is engaged to one... Kathy Kalache, or should I say, the Bella's mom. Reactions? Well, I knew that they were an item because I knew the picture was going around earlier today or yesterday. I did not hear about the engagement. So so John Laurinaitis may be John Cena's father-in-law. And, and will, will be, be Daniel Bryan's <laughs> father-in-law. This is the the new Samoan family tree. That's It's pretty wild, actually. Uh, yeah, it's great, and I'm so happy that it's uh, Johnny and not that piece of garbage stooge Carano, because he's so slimy and ooh, coming in for those hugs and those half-shoulder squeezes. Oh, I could just see him sidling up to Kathy, and Kathy is an elegant woman. Do you think that? Do you think that he refers to her as his dynamic dudette? That's beautiful, man. <laughs> and it, it, anything you can say about this is like. What you're saying is true and great. Like Johnny Ace on Total Divas. Yes, please. Uh, family dinners with uh, all three couples. Yes, absolutely. And what of JJ Garcia Colacci? Can someone get him involved? I think his wife's name is Lauren. She's had that graphic under her name sometimes. Everything, please. Uh, uh, Matt, do you think that since we've done our big theme episodes around the CM Punk thing and the Daniel Bryan thing, wasn't it just sort of... Uh, convenient to get the whole owen story over and done with in like five or six weeks instead of having to go through that whole process because normally it's like years for the guy to overperform his push then he inexplicably gets put in a position to uh do something really consequential knocks it out of the park sometimes wins and then it takes a while for all that to dissipate and and be squandered. And instead, this was like one, two, three, perfect. Yeah, it's like it's all wrapped up in that one, two, three. He got over John Cena in his first match, and then um, the one, two, three where he lost a match to someone less popular several weeks later. Um, it actually really was. 
it's like, oh, I don't have to get my hopes up now. And, um, I'm, you know, already we're looking for the next guy that we can actually, you know, get excited about. And I guess, who is it? Sami Zayn? Finn Balor? Finn or yeah. Balor, right? Would be yeah. a, depending who, depending on when Zayn is healthy. I also think what with go, uh, the, the payoff to Cena's U.S. title deal, um, just being like Rollins has it now, and now maybe Cena's just going to get it back and go back to doing his thing, and we'll have a larger payoff when he loses somebody in one of those challenges. But if you could like book things on purpose so that they made sense in the long run, you would have had Kevin Owens win their first match and win the U.S. title, and then not have the rematch. And then when Cena does get the title from Rollins and ties Flair's record, then you have Owens as a guy to challenge and lose to him. And in the meantime, Owens and Cesaro can have matches for the U.S. title. Am I totally crazy there? You're not totally crazy. I don't know if I'd necessarily sacrifice what Rollins has going on for that. Maybe by the time that that SummerSlam match happened, Owens would have so much momentum that it actually would be the right thing to do. I'm not sure. So, in conclusion and in summary, um, as promised, we're bringing it all the way back to Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. And uh, I think I said before this match that I would apologize to Undertaker if he could pull off a good match and give him a high five. And what can I do but that? I apologize to the Undertaker. I give him a high five. And I think it is cool for him that, like, his, his record, which was so sterling for so long, can kind of be expunged uh, with that WrestleMania 30 fiasco. And I think you can pretty much officially prove the whole it was a concussion talking point. Now all he has to do is have a four-star match with Bray Wyatt, and then we're golden. But go on. <laughs> then he'll be able to, you know, there'll be confidence going into them having their final match at WrestleMania, which I think it's pretty much... If both are healthy, it's pretty much close to set in stone that they're going to do that match at WrestleMania, right? Like, it's going to be Lesnar versus Undertaker, Undertaker's retirement match, right? I mean, unless someone gets hurt, right? (laughs) Very much seems to be the case. And I guess it's hard for me to evaluate the decision uh, to have Undertaker win to whatever extent, like, they jump through hoops to do that until I know whether their idea for Mania is Undertaker losing again and ascending into heaven and putting him over on the way out, or for Undertaker to uh, win his last match and be happy. And I don't even I don't even know what I would do with that situation. I don't think Lesnar is hurt by losing to the Undertaker in Undertaker's retirement match. Right. So But if that was the case, then I wouldn't have wanted to beat him this time. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't know what the deal is there. It is also funny that the long-talked-about thing last year was this massive sacrifice of the Undertaker's streak to build up Lesnar so that then he could pass all of that equity onto Roman Reigns. And now, instead, it's just this thing between the two guys uh, sustaining their own issue and having continued matches with each other. Yes, although I do think that that Lesnar winning at WrestleMania 30, it did make a difference in his aura and in his... uh his ability to like be, uh, I don't know, I don't know as far as like drawing ability, but at least to feel like he's at that level where he's like a special draw. I think like he's at a different level than he was before he broke the streak. Oh, and if he hadn't, I don't know necessarily whether he would have resigned mm. this time because he would have just been like doing the Brock thing, beating some guys, losing to Cena and Triple H and Undertaker. Yeah. 
Do you, I thought it would have been cool though if they and this is, again you can't evaluate until they have their finish in Mania. But so if Undertaker had lost again, then he could have kind of done the Shawn Michaels in 2010 thing where he was desperate to get one more match with the Undertaker. So granted, there's a difference between the Undertaker who's tall and Shawn Michaels who was short and sad, but still sort of the same dynamic. That's a good point. Um, at the very least, though, through all this they have a match that will feel like a big match at WrestleMania. And, mm-hmm. like, last year they kind of didn't. Right. So that And, as you said, we can go in happy that they can have a really good match and not being like, ooh, I don't know about this. Right, exactly. Which we did this year with the Undertaker match, which was weird. We did. It was fine, but not that good. It's also funny now that in this new cranky old bitch iteration of the Undertaker <laughs> character, he's like gone full circle and become an actual walking corpse who just refuses to acknowledge pain. Yeah. Uh, you said it, not me. <laughs> I say that as a, as a praise. I come to par- praise not to bury. The Undertaker. Comes to bury, not to praise. Is that how it goes, or is it the other one? No, it's the, no, other the Undertaker comes to yeah. bury, not to praise. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, that goes back to Julius Cesaro. Yes. In his salad. <laughs> And his uh, section. <laughs> and so, final summative question, uh, Matt, as you talked about the last couple SummerSlams, uh, I always said my kinds of SummerSlam was uh, a show where they utilized the roster up and down and had a lot of good matches. And you said you would be more interested in having one or two really great matches that you would want to rewatch. And do you think this combined both of those kinds of SummerSlams? I think it was more the former, the one with like up and down the show. Because there were some really good matches on this SummerSlam, but I don't think there were any like all-timers that I'll like be going back and watching years from now. Whereas like mm-hmm. SummerSlam 2013, you know, I absolutely will watch CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar and Daniel Bryan versus John Cena years from now. Those were like legitimately special matches. And I don't think we had anything this year. This was a really good show on the night. I don't like this isn't like an all timer for me, um, but it was you know among the better Summer Slams for sure. Just not in that elite level. What do you think? I think so too, but like I said, that's my kind of Summer Slam where I like to see everybody uh, get to do something and and have good stuff up and down. Especially when some of the undercards of the 2010 Summer Slams have sucked. Yeah, I mean, and ha- had no right. To. There have been a lot of really bad Summer Slams over the year, or at least really like mediocre ones, and this was definitely not one of those. And the difference to me was not necessarily them fixing something as it was that the the extra hour just allowed everyone to have time to put on a good match. Yes. There were no uh, Christian beating William Regal in 15 seconds type matches on this show because there didn't need to be. So, Tom, you'll be attending uh, basketball games in the same arena. Yes. So we have that to look forward to. Yep. There'll be a lot of baskets, I anticipate. We're going to do another, like, 41 podcasts, right? Just every game. That's right. We're going to do real-time uh, coverage. Some dunks, many passes. Yes, Matt? And I look forward to paying attention to WWE again come, like, late December-ish. Mm-hmm. If, I, even, you're going to want to skip that Slammy show. <laughs> uh, so, maybe wait for that the post-Monday night football January show. How about that? Yeah, probably a good idea. Keep pushing that forward. Um, Listen and Learn is a show. There was recently one that bent the 
the strands of time and the fabric of reality. It it blew all our minds. Can you tell us what that was like? Oh, well, our hero, Joe Gagne, for which this show and my show would not exist without him, um, we talked about the top ten what-ifs in wrestling history, and we mostly stuck to the past, like, 35 years. Um, so not all history, but there were some fascinating possibilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, that show will be returning in the near future. Um, cannot say what the topic is, but there are some interesting possibilities on deck. One, I almost said 10 beautiful years. One beautiful year, maybe 10 beautiful episodes of Listem. Is that accurate? It's 9 or 10. I too keep track of these things. Um, I, we've lost count. But if we, um, but if I do uh, find out that it has been ten, we can do a top ten of Ooh. the thing. the shows you've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The tenial celebration. Yeah, the it's the the list them and learn episode ten ten times ten countdown. Like a clip show, I think. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I'd, I'd hope to make the like recurring guests you bring back for that. You've been on what three episodes? Maybe. Tom, you've been... But one was one was a half C, so I don't know if that counts. Tom, if you if you were to do any list in the whole world, honestly, what would you do? Top ten. <laughs> Listerine. This guy's breath stinks. Huh. Uh, oh, no, so we would not do Listerine then. That's I prefer to go by on my uh, natural, wonderful breath. Um, huh. Top ten. Would, would you? Because I would say something like UFC related, but would you? You would be the one hosting, correct? So, uh, I mean, I've yeah. talked, we've talked before about, you know, me, you, and Roger doing Super Nintendo games, because uh, if I listening Ooh. to the NES show, uh, you know, I was, like, really inspired. to like, oh, man, what would my Super Nintendo list be? Because that was sort of, you know, what I first grew up on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if we want to put, like, a stake in the ground, then... Well, uh, I would we... do it. I would do it if the, uh, if the people said that they were had a appetite for more non-wrestling episodes of List Them and Learn. I would do it. The people out there, I think they want some. I'm doing that, uh, feeling the energy, and it's it's actually vibing me right up. So it's palpable. Justin, so if you could do a Justin Shapiro show on any topic besides my show, what would you? Uh, what would the topic of your Justin Shapiro show be? It is, well, I would really be more comfortable doing it under your purview because it's it's such a pop culture phenomenon that uh, I think the catchphrase "sweeping America" has become. Uh, it's a great pick, but it did not make my list. <laughs> well, everyone's saying that. I heard that in school today. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, that should do it. Oh, I should have added at the beginning that uh, since we're taping on Labor Day, but people's podcasts get backed up. Uh, I'd like to pose this as a Halloween show. So, can you have pictured us in costumes and and snuck up? Uh, dressed up all spooky and with lightning sound effects in the background. I'm dressed like the Energizer Bunny. How about yourself, Tom? I am dressed like... Um, actually, the first thing that came to mind was a My Little Pony with a uh, Nazi armband, but... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, actually, well, people I guess people will still remember that Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that has staying power. I will be whatever they, I don't know, ruin the new day and put them as, because two months seems like about right, right? For... Uh, that Yeah, once they are turned to babyface and have to then 
be scripted to do their own cutting put-downs of heels. Oh, boy. Look out. But still, one of the... the if we're going to name the, the crowning achievements of the weekend and say uh, not even the finish of the, the Bailey match, but when Bailey reversed the bank statement in the middle of the ring and got a huge pop, that was great. And uh, when Seth Rollins turned, uh, did John Cena's uh, feat of momentum and uh, core strength and gave him the roll through into the attitude adjustment, that was great. And of course, Undertaker... Lesnar sit up laugh dot gif yep. was spectacular, but maybe the most uh, endearing uh, of the entire thing was you Brooklyn uh, uh, salt of the earth people going completely bonkers in a positive way, chanting "New Day" with no uh, negative stinger afterwards, and just whooping it up with the deserving tag champions, heroes, all of you. So, I'd like to thank you personally for that. It was my pleasure. You're welcome. Best friends, high five. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Call to me, call to me. So, uh, you guys ready? Mm-hmm. All the Pringle ladies, all the Pringle ladies, all the Pringle ladies, all the Pringle ladies, open your cans up. Pop, 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 pop. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. Pop, 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 pop. And the verse would go, at least something like this. Up in the kitchen, want to get chips, got to get them baked, not fried. Opened up a bag, it was such a drag, there was so much grease I cried. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. Pop, pop, pop. Okay, that's it. Last year, you shook the very foundation of the show with the hottest parody song of the summer last year which was all the Pringle ladies. And I know you've got one worked up right now. The parody song of the summer 2014. Uh, all right. You cut meat like delis cut meat. We could eat heroes watching Jesus. the Super Bowl. That's all I got so far. All right. Pitch pipes to see. Pitch pipes to see. Got it. What?
Let's hear it for New Day. Wow, right on key. Pitch perfect. Nail. 